The reading comes from Nehemiah, chapter 8. It starts a line before chapter 8, in fact. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattithiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashabadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. There we go. There's some more to come. (laughs) Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, and Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees 
to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. That is the word of the Lord. I don't know whether you ever read a passage from the Bible and wished you'd been there. My top example of this would be the road to Emmaus incident at the end of Luke's Gospel. As they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Cleopas and his companion received from a mystery traveller a lesson in all that the scriptures taught about Jesus. And afterwards, when they realized who this mystery guest was, that it was in fact Jesus himself, they turn to each other and they say, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'd have loved to have been listening to that conversation. Bizarrely, perhaps, This passage does it for me too. I love the fact that God's word has such a profound impact on the gathered Israelites. I love the eagerness with which the family heads and priests and Levites sought to understand what they'd been reading and so directly put them into practice. And to be fair, I've also got a lot of questions I'd love to answer. How did it all happen in practice? How did they organize themselves? These Ezra with his Levite colleagues up on a platform and, and the, other, the other Levites mingling with the crowd explaining things. How did Ezra share his great learning with the crowd? Did he teach directly or did he entrust that to his Levite colleagues? And what specifically was it that brought the Israelites to that state of weeping? I'm not sure I can answer all those questions, but let's enter into the passage together and see what we can learn from it. I'm going to start with a recap of the timeline. Alan did this when we began the series, but I really need to introduce a new character into the story just to show where he fits in. And this character is called Ezra. This all takes place after the exile. Israel has spent approximately 70 years exiled in Babylon and other cities of the Persian Empire because they had turned away from God during the previous 400 or so years. But around 538 BC, in fact I think it's quite accurately 538 BC, commanded to do so by the Persian king Cyrus, the first group of exiles returned to Jerusalem led by Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest and they started to rebuild the temple and also started to offer sacrifices prescribed by the law of Moses. The temple takes about 22 years to build 
And then, about 80 years after the first wave of Jews return to Jerusalem, a new wave of exiles go back, and they are headed by this man, Ezra. And they're going back at the behest of a new Persian king, this one called Artaxerxes. And this second wave of returnees is happening about 13 years before the Nehemiah story that we've been reading through over the past few weeks. Now, Ezra was a priest descended from Aaron, so he had real priestly pedigree, but he was also an expert in the law of the Lord. Ezra 7.10 tells us that he had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So he returned to Jerusalem with a mandate from Artaxerxes to be the administrator and teacher of God's law in the region. Then, 13 years later, as Alan outlined to us right at the beginning of the series, Nehemiah heard that things weren't going that well in Jerusalem. And so, with the blessing of this same Artaxerxes, he returned with a plan to rebuild the city. It only takes them 52 days to complete the work on the walls, and then... Only five days after that, we come to this amazing gathering of the people that we've just heard read to us, this festival of God's word, new wine or spring harvest on steroids, perhaps. (laughs) Why does this story appear here? What is its significance? Well, as I've already said, the temple has been rebuilt. There's a focal point for sacrifices and worship. The wall has been rebuilt, the wall around Jerusalem, and it's possible for the Jews to meet together and practice their faith in some kind of security. That's all good. But now comes the really important work. Ezra the teacher and Nehemiah the project manager, as Alan called him, come together to build up the people of God. Temples and walls have their place and can serve us in many ways, But what God is really interested in is people. God's first promise to Abraham was this in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God had great plans for the descendants of Abraham. And here, at the very end of the Old Testament narrative, he isn't finished with those plans yet. So, how do Ezra and Nehemiah go about building up the people of God? By teaching God's word. The Apostle Paul talked about the same power at work through God's word as he spoke his parting words to the church at Ephesus. He said... In Acts chapter 20, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's God's word of grace, building up the church. So what can we learn about the reading of God's word from this passage? So I have a number of points here. Firstly, reading God's word is good news. 
On day one of this meeting, Ezra and his team of priests and Levites read and make clear the law of Moses from daybreak until noon. And the response of the people was to weep. We don't know exactly why. Perhaps they're realizing in a new way just how far they've moved away from God's purposes for them. But it looks like they've come to what educationalists call a teachable moment. They seem to be open to what God is saying to them. Now, if I'd have been there, I'd have got this all wrong. Great, I'd have thought. God has moved our hearts to repentance. Now is the time to confess our sins and recommit ourselves to holy living according to the law. And in fact, that is what did happen if we read in chapters 9 and 10, which we'll read in the next couple of weeks, we'll see they did do both of those things. But that wasn't for several weeks later. No, Ezra and Nehemiah have different ideas. Now is not the time for weeping. It's the time for rejoicing. And rejoice they do. We read, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Sounds great, doesn't it? Food and drink and rejoicing, and it doesn't stop there. They go on to organize a further week of celebration as they gain a fresh understanding of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we'll come to in a moment. Why rejoicing? Well, they've been listening to the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible to us. And while it certainly contains rules and regulations about the worship of God and about right living, it's also a narrative, a story. It's a story of rescue and redemption. God choosing to reveal himself to Abraham, to bless and multiply his family down through the generations, and eventually to rescue them from Egypt and to teach them his ways. It's a story that gives the Israelites their identity and their purpose. So it is good news. It is worthy of celebration, which is exactly what we're doing here this morning. We're celebrating the story of God's grace and mercy to us. So some questions we could ask ourselves as we read God's word, whether together or alone. How is what we are reading good news for ourselves? How is what we're reading good news for the world around us? And how can we celebrate this good news? Secondly, God's word involves understanding, emotion, and action. The Israelites responded to God's word with emotion. We see both grief and joy talked about. And the Israelites responded to God's word with action. We see that in the way they celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles. But these, the emotion and the action, were driven in the first place by understanding. They were taught by Israel's foremost teacher, Ezra. And Ezra had gone to a great deal of, no doubt, very prayerful effort to ensure that that understanding was passed on to the people. But then... What would the point of the understanding be if it had no response in terms of emotion, resulted in no action? It would have been just a dry academic exercise. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, but knowledge puffs up while love 
builds up. Ezra and Nehemiah weren't seeking to pass on empty knowledge. They loved this people. And the people responded accordingly. Their hearts were touched and they were moved to act. So another set of questions we could ask ourselves as we study God's word is, of course, do we understand what we're reading? But also, is this just dry knowledge or is this affecting my heart? And is it affecting how I live? Thirdly, reading God's word involves not skipping over the inconvenient bits. The last third of our reading concerns the Israelites' response to the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is one of six annual festivals that the Israelites were supposed to celebrate. You can read about them in chapter 23 of Leviticus. And it partly celebrates the end of harvest, but it also acted as a memorial to the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert following their departure from Egypt. So for 40 years, effectively, they lived in temporary shelters. And this festival must have been particularly relevant here in today's story because it was supposed to take place on the 15th day of the seventh month. And here they are reading along with Ezra on the second day of the seventh month. In other words, they've got nearly two weeks to prepare to celebrate this festival properly. Now, it's not that they didn't already mark the Feast of the Tabernacles. In Ezra chapter 3, in the time of the first wave of exiles returning, we read that they celebrated the Festival of the Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. I think it's fair to say that the Israelites were good at doing the offerings, the burnt offerings, the guilt offerings, the fellowship offerings, and so on. But they'd neglected some of the other bits of the festivals. In this case, this seemingly strange ritual of living in temporary shelters to remember back to the time before they entered the promised land. And what had they been missing With their renewed understanding of the festival, we read in verse 17, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, right when they first entered the, the promised land, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. So another set of questions we could ask ourselves are, are there parts of the Bible that we too neglect or are careless with? What are we missing out on by skipping over bits of the Bible that are inconvenient or difficult to do or we just don't feel to be relevant to us? As an example, as wealthy Western Christians, maybe we're susceptible to not focusing too hard on the teaching about the corrosiveness of wealth. Perhaps we give, but we don't truly demonstrate our belief in the generosity of God. Finally, reading God's word is something for all of us. In verse 2 we read, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Now, Nehemiah doesn't specify a cut-off age for understanding, but presumably all who were able to understand included the children as well. None should be excluded from learning about God's word. In our case, for much of the year, many of our young people are learning 
about God in age-appropriate ways in the Blue Hall. In fact, I think they were planning to build shelters this morning, so they're actually looking at this passage in a very fun way. But we meet in this building all together, all ages, for the same purpose and for the same need to be transformed by God's word. So let's encourage those in particular who teach our young in groups on Sunday mornings, week by week. What's the outcome of all this? After the book of Nehemiah, the Bible goes silent for 430 years. But by the time of Jesus, the Jews are still a people who know God's word, despite the centuries of varying degrees of oppression under the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman empires, the scrolls of scripture were still being opened week by week in the synagogues. And when Jesus spoke from scripture, as he so often did, his audience, more often than not, grasped something of the significance of what he said, even though many may not have liked what they heard. God's word had sustained the Jewish identity across the centuries. May God's word sustain us by the power of the Holy Spirit over the coming years. Amen.